And this morning's reading is from uh, 2 Peter, chapter 1, the first 11 verses. And we're reading from the NIV this morning. So Peter writes, I, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thanks, Jim. I'm on. Almost. There we go. Good morning, everybody. Well, that was a really enthusiastic good morning. It's my pleasure to um, to lead you this morning in the Word and um, and in Lord's Supper afterwards. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the uh, leaders here, and it's great to hear. Um, I'm just listening to everything that's happening with uh, opportunities for ministry, uh, life groups starting up, and it's. Um, you know, when you start in January, you kind of you get into this really relaxed mode, you know, and then when you're in a church office, you feel like, oh no, everything's going to start again. But what I really appreciate is that there are so many people in this church community that put an effort in, so getting things started again and getting us together as a community, focusing on what God has for us this year, is actually a pleasure, and um, I look forward to. Um, to what we're going to learn and how we're going to grow as a family this year as well. So this morning I want to um, just spend a little bit of time helping, giving us a bit of a picture of um, what we would like to look at this year in terms of a theme or what we will sort of, what we'll sort of focus on in pockets during the year as a theme. And um, this scripture is, is a great launch pad for that. You know, um, just a, a week or two ago, I was asking this prep kid or this little kid who was going to be going to school um, why he was going to school, you know. Um, 
And he said to me, to learn things. A and I said, so um, you're going to go to school and you're going to learn things. What are you going to learn this year? And he just turned to me really quickly and said, everything. I said, so you're going to be all grown up by the end of prep. And he said, yep. Yep, I'm going to be all grown up and, and I'm going to know everything. You see, no kid says, oh, I expect to be exactly the same at the end of the year as I am now. No one says that. If I asked Joel, who's uh, one of our businessmen in the church, if I said, you know, how would you feel if your business by the end of the year is exactly as it is now? No change, no growth, no nothing. How would you feel? How would most of us feel in business if things didn't change at all? If I asked you if you'd like your bank balance to grow this year, hands up if you'd like it to grow. Oh, you humble people. And you're all not telling the truth. Or would you like to say, just, just stay as it is or, or even decrease a little bit, I'm cool with that. If I asked you parents whether you'd be happy if your children didn't grow or mature this year, didn't develop or learn anything this year, those three or four-year-olds will still be in nappies at the end of the year. That six-year-old that can read cat and hat now can still only read cat and hat in December. How would you feel? Or if I asked you just personally whether you'd be happy or to not mature and to not grow at all this year or to not um, develop in ways that you might want to develop. You might want to become a better golfer. You might want to become a better soccer player, a better cricket player, a better musician. You might want to become um, smarter at school. You want, might want to become a better doctor. You might want to be better with computers, whatever it is. What if I said, would you be happy not to change at all? And see, so all of those things, you're looking at me thinking, okay, we, we get it. You know, that's silly. We know better. That is, that is silly, isn't it? I mean, none of us wants to stay or be stagnant in, in any area of our life, do we? we? We're all prepared to do the hard work to grow. You know, I, I think of hard work and grow, and I watch Steve train the soccer guys in soccer season. You know, and, and um, last, not Wednesday, just gone, but the Wednesday before, it was like, I don't know, 39 degrees, wasn't it, Steve? Something like that. And um, we had the, the sign-up at the soccer club for everybody to register and all the juniors, but they get to go home again, but the seniors had to train. It was hot. And they were out there running, and everyone was looking at them. Roy was standing with me, and we were just sort of feeling so sorry for them. And we looked at Steve, and we thought, no mercy. Yeah, because if you're going to get better, you've got to train. And we understand that. None of us wants to be stagnant. We're all prepared to do the hard work and grow and mature in every area and to encourage others around us, kids, family, friends, to do that. Every, every, every area or most areas. You see, in our scripture, Peter is talking to a number of churches in Asia Minor. We, this letter kind of went to a few different small churches in Asia Minor that were struggling. You see, the challenge for them was, was growing. Uh, for the followers of the way, which was, you know, how they were called, the, the challenge was them to, to keep being it, to grow and to keep being an influence, not only to those outside the church, like to the society and, and the places around them, but even to each other within in the community. The distractions of life and society and the confusing signals of various moral and ethical slides that were around them 
in, in the worlds and the places where in, in the, the nations where they found themselves meant that they were faltering. They were kind of sort of not making it, slipping up. They were, they'd stopped focusing on maturing and growing in faith. And so Peter's antidote, have a look at that. Peter's um, prescription for that is not to sing another worship song together. Let's all get together and sing Kumbaya. That'll fix it. It's not to, uh, to huddle closely together and to hang in there because Jesus is coming back. It's not to start a fervent prayer group once a week to get together and pray about it. It's not even to preach on the streets to the community around them. It's to do the hard work of growing as disciples. That's, that's the first thing that he points to. It's to grow. Remind themselves of what they know and have learned. He starts, that, he starts off that way. But then to add to those things, expand them, grow them, mature them. You see, discipleship is dynamic, and he's saying to them, it's dynamic. You can't just stay with the revelation that you had. You, you need to continue to add. Failure to do that would not only render them useless as influences in the society around them, in their communities, but also Peter talks about that, that meant they would become ineffective and, and unproductive in their own knowledge of God, that they fail to even manage their own life and faith. And he says at the end, it's like you've forgotten you're saved from your sins. You've forgotten your salvation. Peter sees the work and effort of growing as key, becoming mature disciples. Moving people in following Christ has, has been our catchphrase for a year and a half or two years now for some time. And last year as a church, we, we worked through who we are as a church and, and what God had uniquely, where God had uniquely called us and what God had uniquely called us to be. And what kind of church, what, what we looked like. And we, we came and we, we shared with, uh, with us as a as family together. We came with that term sending church that best reflected that. And this means that we look for ways both internally and externally to send out the good news, to send out the gospel, to, to, to get it out through programs, through relationships and, and way more ways. And that through us and our ministry, both as a church uh, community together, and as individuals, many people, from the very smallest, from our kids in turbos and, and kinder church in Christ, many people from our smallest children, right to those we reach in the community and to those we reach as far as Africa and beyond, would, through us, have access to the kingdom of God. That we would send out that good news, that bring access to the kingdom, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's pretty huge when you say it like that, isn't it? That's a big ask. So how do we see this happening? Well, towards the end of last year, we, we would develop and send ourselves. We would see this whole, this, whole this whole strategy of developing ourselves and sending ourselves and those things happening continually. We'd make sure that we're consistently developing our faith through our life groups, through our church services, through our encouraging uh, grow groups, personal study, but also that we're focused on sending it out so that we become the kingdom access points. That you and I together and we together as a church. So it's not so different to what the churches in Asia Minor were to do. It's not so different to what Peter was reminding the churches in Asia Minor, that the followers of the way to do. 
they were called to do. They were, they were established as churches with a calling. Like us, they lived in challenging times. Like us, they had dreams and goals, drives and passions, hopes and loves. And like us, I guess they were human beings. They wanted to progress, to mature, to grow and to get somewhere with their lives. And also like us, they faltered. They failed to prioritize continual growth. They failed to, to look at progressive maturity. And Peter just reminds them not to forget that maturity in God and maturity in faith is on top of that tree of progressing as a human being. See, we understand, like I said at the start, we understand progressing as humans. We understand growth. We understand getting better. We understand that, that being st uh, staying at the, on, on, on a one level is plateauing. It's not growing. In fact, in many ways, we understand that's moving backwards. But Peter wants them to understand that on the top of the tree of progressing as a human being, maturing as a person, is maturing in God and maturing in faith. That's number one in progressing at life. So we've been looking at what we'd like to focus on in our teaching this year and, and in our life groups and, and as a church. And with all that in mind, we wanted to look at what would our growth journey look like by the end of this year. And so I have a little diagram. I have the first slide here. And I, I thought we, I was going to give them names. I was going to call them Johnny or Jane One Hope. Um, and and this, is, this, is, this is them at, in February. And, and this is them in, in December. Now, I didn't draw the stick figures because I can't draw really well. But um, you can see the difference. In February, Johnny or Jane are wa is wondering. And in December, they're on the way. They're doing it. What does Johnny or Jane One Hope look like today as we sit here? And what do they look like in December 2018? Isn't that how you look at a child going to school? Isn't that how teachers work on a curriculum? Isn't that how you look at your business or look at what's going to happen? Isn't that how you look at a, at a soccer team? Isn't that how you look at things like that? So when we look at ourselves, and we are Johnny or Jane One Hope, we are those people. When we look at ourselves in December, are, are we at the same place with regard to faith? Are we at exactly the same place with our walk with God, our understanding or our action in following what God says? Are we better able to manage the tides in our life? Are we better able to manage the challenges in the world around us and in our communities? Are we increasing or have we increased in kingdom influence? Do we know God better in December this year than we did in February? Are we becoming mature disciples? Are we moving people in following Christ? And how will we tell? What are we looking for? What does God in his word call us to do? And what are some of the key traits or the key indicators, if you like, of a mature disciple, you and I? There are probably heaps of them, but in... Um, just in the office and in, in praying and in looking over the last few weeks and in talking together with leadership and Joel and I, we've identified six traits that we think are key that we want to focus on during this year in some of our preaching and definitely in our life groups. And perhaps it won't be constant. We'll have sections where we have different themes like Easter and, and visiting preachers. But here's a bit of an indication of what we want to look at this year. 
So we've got a diagram that helps you understand that a little bit. In the center is the goal, the ongoing journey, becoming mature disciples, traits of mature disciples. Around it we see the six areas, or if you like, the traits. They fall nicely into the whole develop and send um, thing as well. The develop is the gray areas, applying God's word, praying selflessly, commit to uh, accountability. These things are the developing areas. And the send areas are red. They fall nicely. Being part of a church family out there, sharing the gospel, serving. I want to have a quick look at each one of those traits and a bit of a scripture and see what the word says about them uh, and understand quickly. We're going to go through them obviously more this year, but just quickly what they might mean. So the first one is being part of a church family. And the scripture with, we've got a scripture that goes with that one. And it's in Acts chapter 2. And we all know the scripture, don't we? They... The church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God worshipping, enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So we consider that one of the traits of mature discipleship or disciples is that we are part of a church family. And being part of a church family like this, the Bible gives us a pretty good example of what that's like. There's responsibilities there's privilege and responsibilities. You know, um, Joel just announced up here, we have the first fruits offering coming up. We have uh, opportunities to serve in the community. There's responsibilities of being part of a family. There's privileges. We get to celebrate things together. We get to enjoy the support of one another. There's joys. We get to praise and sing and, and rejoice when babies are born, when great things happen. We get to learn. We get to support each other. We get to commit. Commitment is one of those things in church family. And we get to sacrifice for each other and for the kingdom. So we want to consider and understand together why God sees the community of believers as essential for us as disciples. Why is being part of a church family so essential to being a mature disciple? Like any family, the church is filled with different characters, different gifts, different cultures and different personalities. And in this room, we know that. If you look around you, you know that the church is filled with different opinions and, and this community is filled with different ways of doing things, different gifts and talents, skills, and some are better than others and in one thing and better than others in another. And that's just a beautiful reflection of the kingdom of God. That's exactly how God intended the church family to be, full of different people that respond and think differently. The journey to maturing as a disciple happens when we're part of and take part in. So not just part of. You don't just sign up to be part of a church family. As we're part of and take part in the church family. It doesn't happen alone. Maturing as a disciple doesn't happen by yourself. It means taking responsibility for the growth of our fellow family member and growing. That's part of a church family. Then the second one in the um, praying selflessly. And um, in Ephesians, Paul does that. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul prays for, and Jesus did that in John. If you read John 17 where you see Jesus praying for his disciples and praying for (coughs) the church. Praying selflessly is not a term we use much. And it's interesting because we might say, oh, yeah, look, we do. We have, you know, Joel just did that. We have um, our prayer times where we pray for the sick, and that's not for me. We pray for people that need jobs and people that need houses. But to pray earnestly for someone else's growth, to pray earnestly for someone else's life and salvation. But selfless prayer is also a prayer that prays for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done, yeah, but in you, through you, his way, that you'd be used by him. To pray selflessly is to say, God, I want to see your kingdom come. I want to see your will be done. I want to see people saved. And I want you to do it and use me if you have to, however you want to do that. In my context, in my world, in my family, in my walk, well, do it through me that you're willing to be the tool that he uses to answer that prayer. God can do in you and with you whatever he wants. We want to understand how that kind of prayer works. We want to understand what it means for us as mature disciples to pray those kind of prayers that seek the salvation of others, that seek the kingdom to come, and all of that through us, if that's what God chooses to do. A mature disciple knows that they're supposed to stand in the gap and pray this way. And then the next one we go to is sharing the gospel. And um, we understand that one, you know, therefore go and make disciples. I couldn't choose another. There was so many scriptures, but this has to be the one, doesn't it? Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. To some extent, we've sometimes grown as churches and followers to see this as an optional activity. Or one of the things that we could do if we felt led. Or we could do it if it was the thrust and the, 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 the drive of, of our particular church that we go to. Or... It was something we could do if we felt really called, you know, like those extreme misho people, you know, those extreme evangelists and that sort of stuff. When actually, this is a command for all disciples, for all followers of Christ. This is a direct command to Jesus' disciples. You will do this, and this is how the church will grow. This is how the kingdom will grow. This is how others will become followers of the kingdom of God. And... The interesting thing is, this is also how you will grow. We want to understand that sharing the gospel is actually a command. And it's what we must do in all contexts, at home, in our families, in our schools, in our work, in our, definitely in our, in our, church, ex- uh, our church programs, our community programs. But we also under- want to understand how we can uniquely do this as a church and as individuals 
And remember, we're individuals that are all different, so there are different ways we can do that. We're involved in so many things far and wide. We have local community. We have the soccer club. We have Africa. We, you all work in workplaces and go to schools and um, family and social groups. A mature disciple does share the excitement of the gospel because it changed and is changing his or her life. That's the motivation, isn't it? And they can't but want it for others as well. That's sharing the gospel. Commits to accountability is the, the next one there. So the trait of a mature disciple is someone that commits to accountability. Accountability isn't one of these words that we often pair with encouragement. Have a look at our scripture. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, accountability and encouragement doesn't often roll off our tongue in the same sentence, does it? In fact, accountability can be discouraging in our minds sometimes. We see it as a negative much more quickly. Yet here we see the writer to the Hebrews saying, don't stop catching up with each other. Spur one another on. I love the NIV version of this because, you know, those of you that are a bit horsey know what a spur is, don't you? On the back of the... Uh, on the, back of the on the shoe, the, the boot, you know, and the spur, it isn't a little feather that tickles the horse and says, come on, we can do this. You know, the spur actually jolts the horse into action and that's the language that the writer to the Hebrews is using. We sometimes need to jolt each other into action and a spur can hide, hurt or bite a bit, can't it? We need to hold each other accountable. It's an act of love and it grows us as a community and it matures us. We want to look at how placing ourselves in situations of accountability, we can grow and mature as disciples. How it grows and encourages the church. Um, grow groups are a great way to do this. There's a level of maturity that we miss. There's a level of maturity that we can't achieve if we aren't willing to be accountable or to be teachable. Or if we're not willing to hold someone else accountable and love them that way. And part of that is because of where we are as a society. And one of the on side issues, you know, we're, we're scared to confront. We're scared to, we don't like conflict. We don't want to disturb this, this friendly relationship we have with somebody. Because we're mates, you know, and we, we don't want to say the difficult things. We don't want to be uncomfortable with each other. But there's something of maturity and something of the kingdom that we miss when we don't do that. One of the other issues in our day and age is we treat faith as my personal journey, don't we? And perhaps this is a, a greater thing in, in some of the younger generations. But this whole thing is it's my personal journey and, um, you know, and, and, and I'll do my journey my way and, and you do your journey your way and, you know, I'm, I'm going with God. And so we don't hold each other accountable. We don't call each other to, to a level or a standard. But the Bible doesn't give us that picture that it's just my personal journey. The Bible doesn't show us that at all. A maturing disciple is willing to be accountable and willing to hold others accountable. We're getting there. Serves out of love. You know, I, I thought about this one. I thought... Um, Here's our scripture. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace in its various forms. Notice that it says whatever gift you have received. There isn't anyone sitting in this room that hasn't received a gift. 
Are you with me? That would be a big yes. You know, that's what we understand. This scripture is uh, pretty clear. Peter tells the churches in Asia Minor that serving with the gift you have received is mandatory. And this is, this is Peter. This is back in those letters to the churches in Asia, Asia Minor. And he talks about various forms. That's interesting. I underlined various forms. That wasn't Peter. That was me. Because we are different. We all have different gifts. And there's various forms of gifts. And it recognizes that we're all different and diverse. But it also emphasizes that none of us are left out of serving. There is no one here that cannot serve out of love for the kingdom. Your gifts are not for you. They're for others and to serve. You know, and I thought about it, as a church, we do this pretty well. And we can boast a little bit, I reckon. Maybe I'm on my own here, but I think we do that okay. Many serve within, and outside, within our church and outside our church. But like any family, it's true that not all do. And it's true that not all think that they can fit somewhere. Peter says otherwise. But the onus is on us as mature disciples to serve and to offer up our gift. You see that? Each of you should use whatever gift. Some of the versions say offer up whatever gift you have. Not wait for it to be uh, asked for. An interesting um, little story came to mind when I was thinking of that. So many years ago when I was working in another church, we were struggling for about 18 months with an area that we, n- we really needed someone to take to. to take some leadership, take some responsibility or use their gift in that area and um, nothing was happening and I finally spoke to someone and he says, well, I'm good at that, I'd, I'd be willing to do it but they just haven't asked me. You know, what's wrong with that picture? Now Peter says, just offer it up. You know, jump in and say, here's what I'm good at, can you use it here? We'll, we'll say yes pretty much every time. We want to understand how we can release everyone into service, near or far, within our community or outside our community, within our nation, outside of our nation and community. And this is a growth activity. If you want to experience God, get out and serve and then look in your wake. Many, many years ago, an older pastor said that to me once when I was um, in some group, I was complaining about this whole context. I, I don't feel God. I don't feel like God's doing anything in my life and he said to me Andrew he said just get out and serve get out and work hard and then look back in your wake you'll see that God was active and don't sit and wait just get out and serve a great way to grow and mature as disciples and the final one we're going to look at this more uh, this year and, and in this uh, six traits is applying God's word this would be a good thing to do I think wouldn't it Do not merely listen, James says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. You know, it doesn't really get any more basic than that isn't it you know we are great listeners to the word we have someone preach the word every week many of you if not most of you would read the word every day or at least a few times a week perhaps you listen to podcasts you know perhaps you go to youth maybe you're in a grow group or a life group james doesn't mince words if you just read the bible and think oh that's nice 
or that would be cool if it was true or maybe I should consider that one day James says well that's not much use is it each of us should do what the word says mature followers do it's a trait don't just sit and listen to a sermon or a podcast act on it change something initiate something because if you don't it's wasted effort and you forget it like your reflection in the mirror I don't think I've ever forgotten what I look like. I don't know about you. I think I'm pretty handsome. I've got to say it. You see, no, actually, I'm not great at this. I'm, not, I'm good at the mirror thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not great at it. You know, I hear great messages. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of books, obviously. And like I said last week, sometimes it's part of your job, so it becomes part of your work. It, it doesn't become this transformative experience. So I'm not great at this either. I read the word and I don't initiate it into my life or respond to it. We want to discover how we can develop this in our lives and our church community. Maturity is getting much better at doing that. Maturity is being willing to change, being willing to respond to the word. Not to be embarrassed or worried about what people think. Not to be too cool or too shy to have it visibly affect you. A mature disciple is one who hears the word sees the application of the word and is willing to lead the way to apply and live it out. So there's a bit of a, um, what we want to look at this year. We really want to focus on what it means for us as individuals and as a church to become mature disciples, to continue to become. I'm not, it's, the suggestion isn't that we aren't, and Peter doesn't suggest that either, but he's saying we've got to keep going, we've got to keep adding to it, and we've got to be intentional about that so you need structures and things to be able to do that. We're going to take these things and deal with them in our service and stages. I develop life group stuff around them, like Joel said before. And you might be sitting there, and I've done this before, and you might be thinking, oh, why always further? Why can't we just be happy where we're at? Why do we always have to keep pushing? Well, I have a scripture there, and uh, if we could put the next slide up. But Paul says in Corinthians, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is a spirit. And Paul talks about that in a number of places, that we are continuing to increase in glory and increasing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, increasing in our understanding of what it means for us to be followers of Christ. It doesn't stop. And I've got one more scripture because ultimately our best motivation, isn't it? The Bible calls us to be like Jesus and our best motivation is Jesus. Well, even Jesus continued to grow. When I was, in, and when I was a kid in church, we had a boys club. We didn't have cadets in our church. We had this boys club. And at the start of every boys club, we had this mantra. We had to, we had to Luke 2 verse 52 and I've never forgotten it. And I can say it without looking, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Never ever forgot that. And here it is. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Even Jesus continued to grow in wisdom. As he was a, as he was a model, he took on humanity and he was a model for us of what it meant to be followers of Christ. Jesus' following led him to the cross though, didn't it? the ultimate act of service so if jesus needed it then i do too if jesus needed it then we do too
Peter's letter to the followers in Asia Minor was to remind them of who they were and what they'd received. Verse 3 in our reading says that you have everything you need, the precious promise of divine of the divine nature. That's eternity. You have it. You don't need that. You've, you've already got that. The, the work that Jesus did on the cross, you've got it. And we sit here and we're exactly the same. Every one of us, we don't need to attain the promises of the divine nature. We don't need to attain eternity. Jesus did that for us. That was achieved by his work on the cross. Jesus had told his disciples to remember too, to remind, you know, this echo. Peter is echoing what Jesus said to his disciples right at the start. Remember, remind yourselves of what went on. When they would gather and eat, they should remember Jesus and what he'd done. And remembering around a meal was not abnormal. The Israelites did that with the Passover. That's when they remembered what God had done to save them from Egypt. Lord's Supper is when we, as a community, do the same. We're reminded of what Jesus did for us. We're reminded that Jesus did increase in wisdom and in maturity. He did increase to the point of, of service, to the point of serving and offering up his life for us. This is where we remember that we haven't forgotten what we look like. We haven't forgotten who we are. We haven't forgotten what Jesus did for us. We remind each other as we share in a supper together. We remember and believe that Jesus took upon himself our sin and he died and paid the price so that we can agree with each other and we can look at each other and say, yeah, we too have everything we need. We share together in the divine nature. We share in eternity because of Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus set the example for us when he sat with his disciples. And he sat with his disciples when he was telling them to, you know, like Peter told the, the churches to remember, Jesus was telling his disciples to remember. And he said, he took the bread and, and he broke it. When he'd given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. And, and do this in remembrance of me. Get together, eat, share, and, and let this be. There's nothing magical about this, but let this be a reminder that my body was broken so that you could participate in that divine nature, that you could be part of eternity. And the same way when they finished eating, he said the same with the, with the, um, the cup, and he said, this is a cup of the new covenant of my blood poured out. When you, when you drink, do this together. Remind each other, yeah, Jesus' blood was poured out so that we can share in that divine nature. Remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus went on and said, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. And we all ought to examine ourselves and check our hearts and understand whether we're living lives that reflect that, whether we're, we're willing to surrender to Jesus, whether we're willing to surrender to his lordship in our life. Not whether we're sin-free. That's what Jesus did. We are sin-free in his eyes. But remembering what Christ did and not despising what he shares with us today. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for reminding us in so many ways, each time we gather on a Sunday, whoever shares and preaches, whoever leads worship, whatever, Lord, we're reminded of who you are. We're, we're 
our, our hearts and our eyes are focused back on you and your word and all that you've done for us and all the things that you're doing in our lives and want to continue to do. We're reminded that you keep calling us on, that the end game is eternity with you and that while we're here, we get to reflect that to the world around us. Lord, thank you that we can only do that because of your saving work on the cross. Thank you that you've given us this opportunity to be reminded again that your body was broken, that your blood was shed, so that we can share with that person sitting next to us, with everyone in this room, that we can share and participate in the divine nature in eternity, in the promise of hope. And we thank you for that. And so, Lord, as we share this morning, Lord, I pray that your Spirit, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, plant seeds in our heart that remind us of who we are and that call us on to who you're still calling us to be. I'm just going to ask the leaders to come on forward and um, we're going to share this together. And so um, just invite you to come forward and pick up the elements and then um, go back to your seats and, and we'll share them together when you're back at your seats. So come on down the, the sides here.
Take it, eat it, remember and believe. Think of that mirror image. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. And the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks is the sharing in the blood of Christ. We share in his blood being shed with each other. Take it, drink it, remember and believe that the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins.